0: chapter fifteen part two of the suffragette the history of the woman's militant suffrage movement by e sylvia pankhurst this LibriVox recording is in the public domain fifteen part two nevertheless he had evidently seen the justice of the remark and he did not object when a similar question was now put it was have we not received encouragement from you or if not from you from your colleagues to take action of this kind i should be very much surprised to hear that miss bankhurst mr george gave his answer pompously you deny that we have been encouraged by liberal statesmen to take action of this kind she said eagerly i simply express astonishment at the statement he said casting up his eyes with an exaggerated but not very convincing air of indignation have you ever heard these words spoken by us at trafalgar square or by any liberal statesman i am sorry to say that if no instructions had ever been addressed in political crises to the people of this country except to remember to hate violence to love order and to exercise patience the liberties of this country would never have been attained have you ever heard those words before i cannot call them to mind at this reply there was a sensation in the court silent but clearly felt those were the words of william ewart gladstone said christabel I accept your statement, Miss Bankhurst, was Mr Lloyd George's reply, and when asked whether he was aware that in eighteen eighty four Mr Chamberlain had threatened to march one hundred thousand men on London, he again replied I do not know. Christabel's next question carried the war further into the enemy's country. Is it not a fact that you yourself have set us an example of revolt? she asked, but Mr Curtis Bennett interposed to say that the Chancellor need not answer that question and that she must not attack her own witness whilst they were arguing mr lloyd george himself burst in i never incited a crowd to violence he said hotly as though this form of defence had only just occurred to him not in the welsh graveyard case she asked no he said you did not tell them to break down a wall and disinter a body i gave advice which was found by the court of appeal to be sound legal advice he said snappishly and again almost turning his back upon her we think that we are giving sound advice too she said after this mr lloyd george became less and less ready to give any reply and his angry eyes were continually calling for the magistrate's intervention miss pankhurst then cited passages from Taylor on evidence to show that more latitude could be allowed in questioning a witness who obviously appeared to be hostile or interested for the other party or unwilling to give evidence but mr curtis bennett declared that none of these descriptions could be applied to mr lloyd george so with a gesture of protest christabel said i think i need not trouble him with any further questions after some questioning by mrs pankhurst to which mr lloyd george returned the scantiest and most surly of replies Mrs. Drummond said earnestly, but with a touch of humour in her voice, "'I should like to ask Mr. Lloyd George this question. Many times he has refused to answer me. When do you intend to put a stop to these things by giving us the vote?' Shrugging his shoulders, Mr. Lloyd George turned to the magistrate, who gave the desired reply. "'That is not a question for the witness,' Mrs. Drummond added, after a pause, quietly and reproachfully. "'You and your colleagues are much to blame for this agitation.' you must not make a statement said the magistrate you see we never get a chance at other times said mrs drummond appealingly at this mr george smiled broadly but not very pleasantly and shaking his head said indeed you do as he left the box mr curtis bennett now told christabel that he wished her to call mr herbert gladstone in order that the home secretary might not be detained from his duties in the house unnecessarily but she declared that it was absolutely essential that she should first call one other witness mr curtis bennett protested and she said i have only one question to put to this lady very well then one question he said smiling as though he scarcely believed her and one could plainly see determining to hold her to her word christabel then called miss marie brackenbury who stepped quietly into the box christabel gently asked her whether it were true that she had suffered six weeks imprisonment in connection with this agitation and as soon as she had assented said quickly but in a clear penetrating voice did mr horace smith tell you in sentencing you to that term he was doing what he was told you must not put that question almost shouted the magistrate but the witness had already replied he did the witness has said yes upon oath said miss pankhurst triumphantly turning to the place where the cabinet ministers sat there was a strange stir in the court those present feeling that belief in the inviolability of british justice was slipping from their grasp for a moment or two there was an unpleasant pause and mr curtis bennett sat flushed and angry mr herbert gladstone the home secretary was then called and took his place in the witness-box with his shiny bald forehead ruddy face prominent eyes and corpulent figure he formed not only a striking contrast to his colleague who had just been examined but was as far removed from the impressive dignity of his own distinguished father altogether his general appearance was that which the romantic idealist would associate rather with a comfortable and prosperous shopkeeper than with a cabinet minister as soon as he had been sworn he placed his elbows on the ledge in front of him and looked smilingly around the court as much as to say Nothing of this kind can disturb me. I intend to enjoy myself. Miss Pankhurst began by endeavouring to fix upon him, as Home Secretary, the responsibility for the proceedings against herself and her colleagues, which she had denied in the House of Commons. She succeeded in forcing him to admit, I am at the head of the responsible department. But when she put the questions more plainly, saying, Did you not, as a matter of fact, instruct the Commissioner of Police to take the present proceedings? And... "'Are the government as a whole responsible for these proceedings?' "'Mr. Musket jumped up in each case, shouting, "'I object to that,' "'and the magistrate also said that the questions could not be answered.' "'They were also determined that no more unpleasant disclosures were to be made, "'but she would not leave the subject. "'Did you instruct Mr. Horace Smith to decide against Miss Brackenberry "'and to send her to prison for six weeks?' she asked. "'You cannot put that question either.' said mr curtis bennett in a slightly raised tone it is a pity that the public interest should suffer on that account was her severe reply and turning to mr gladstone she said did you offer any instructions to mr horace smith i object to this it is contempt of court to continue putting these questions indignantly cried mr musket again springing to his feet but with a broad sweep of her hand she declared the public will answer them then turning to mr gladstone whose enjoyment of the situation had now entirely vanished she persisted what do you suggest is the meaning of what mr horace smith has said but again the magistrate intervened she next asked mr gladstone to define the word rush i can hardly give any definition of it but a rush implies force he said growing more comfortable again do you deny that it involves speed rather than force she asked And he replied, smiling and putting his head knowingly on one side. "'Speed generally involves force.' This argument continued for some time. Then she asked, "'Were you anticipating that you would be in bodily danger as a consequence of the issue of this bill?' "'I did not think of it at all. I did not think whether the possibility existed or not,' he answered, squaring his shoulders and throwing out his chest. She waved her hand. You are, like us, above these considerations. You were not in fear? No, not at all, he answered, looking pleased with himself. Did you ever think that public property was in danger as a consequence of this bill having been issued? I thought it quite possible, he said a little more seriously. I thought there would be danger from the crowds. Then you were agreeably disappointed on the morning of the 14th when you found no harm had been done? No, I was not. The police measures were sufficient to stop any serious accident or danger, he said proudly and magisterially. She kept putting questions of this kind, first in one form, then in another, until he began to grow tired and puzzled, and was evidently in fear of making some unwise admission. Did you feel that but for the line of police protecting you, the crowd would have rushed upon you and attacked you? she asked at last with expressive emphasis. The police were not protecting me he answered with an air of offended dignity i felt no personal fear did any other person seem in danger of attack the police gave them very little chance what made you think them a dangerous or hostile crowd of course i am quite accustomed to seeing these crowds i know what has happened before what has happened disorderly scenes mr gladstone was standing up now and looking quite severe what harm have they done very little as it happened what harm have they attempted to do that is not for me to answer have they attempted to do more than secure an interview with the prime minister mr gladstone turned to the magistrate who said that is not a question for him to answer we will go back to the thirteenth she said do you think any one was obstructed in their passage to the house of commons i cannot speak for other people You saw no attempt to waylay members of Parliament or Cabinet Ministers? Her questions continued thick and fast. He admitted that he had seen no one waylaid or injured and no harm done, but took refuge in the assertion. There was a great crowd. But a crowd assembles when the King goes to open Parliament, she said. He answered crossly. Presumably they were waiting to rush the House of Commons and added later that he had heard that certain police constables had been injured and that there had been thirty-seven arrests and over forty complaints of losses of purses and watches comparing that with the net result of a lord mayor's show crowd or any sort of procession really less harm resulted she asked but he gave no reply and her questioning as to how many policemen were on duty and what the cost had been to the country were suppressed by mr curtis bennett presently christabel asked how do you define a political offence mr gladstone leant over the edge of the box and smiled again i wish you would give me a good definition he said in friendly confidential tones i am often asked that question in the house of commons well with the magistrate's permission i will she answered a political offence is one committed in connection with political disturbances and with a political motive i do not think that a sufficient explanation he said with a challenging air if i am at liberty after this day's proceedings are over i shall have pleasure in sending you a fuller account then she asked do you remember that when a deputation of women went to the house of commons to see the prime minister instead of being allowed to enter they were arrested i have no immediate recollection of that only a general recollection was the home secretary's reply given with a lofty manner when the question was put again in a slightly different form the magistrate interrupted that does not arise on the issue it throws a light on it though said miss pankhurst please do obey otherwise i shall have to stop it altogether said mr curtis bennett and one heard a note of regret in his voice he evidently enjoyed the discomfort of the cabinet ministers and the spectacle of their professing blankest ignorance on well-known points I have given you much more license than I should give counsel, he urged. In the action we took on the 13th, is it within your knowledge that we were acting on advice given by yourself? Christabel asked. I wish you would take my advice, Mr. Gladstone answered. We are trying to take it, she said quietly. What did you mean when you said that men had used force majeure in demanding the vote? If you hand me the speech, I dare say I can tell you. She held out a copy of it towards him but Mr Curtis Bennett interposed How is this material to what Mr Gladstone saw You are cross-examining your own witness Miss Pankhurst and you must not do that May I not ask any explanation whatsoever as to the counsel given to us she asked with a persuasive air No you may not the magistrate replied sternly We never have any opportunity May I ask whether he made certain statements Mr. Curtis Bennet smiled and pretended not to notice, and Christabel eagerly turned to Mr. Gladstone, reading from the printed copy of his speech. "'Did you say it was impossible not to sympathize with the eagerness and passion which have actuated so many women on this subject?' "'Yes,' he replied. "'Did you say men had had to struggle for centuries for their political rights?' "'Yes.' Did you say that they had to fight from the time of Cromwell, and that for the last one hundred thirty years the warfare had been perpetual? His smile was growing broader and broader. Yes, he said. Did you say that on this question experience showed that predominance of argument alone, and you believed that that had been attained, was not enough to win the political day? Did you say that? Yes did you say that we are in the stage of what is called academic discussion which serves for the ventilation of pious opinions and is accompanied you admit by no effective action on the part of the government or of political parties or of voters throughout the country yes did you say that members of the house of commons reflect the opinion of the country not only in regard to the number of people outside but in regard to the intensity of the feeling in support of a movement and that the government must necessarily be a reflex of the party which brought it into being yes did you say this there comes a time when political dynamics are far more important than political arguments you said that yes and that men had learned this lesson yes and that they know the necessity for demonstrating that force majeure which actuates and arms a government for effective work yes i think it was a most excellent speech he said nodding his head and smiling up at the prisoner evidently regarding the whole affair as a very good joke the court laughed too but for a different reason and the magistrate raised no objection i agree with you said christabel smiling demurely did you say that this was the task before the leaders of this great movement yes Did you speak of people assembled in tens of thousands in the thirties, sixties, and eighties, and do you know that we have done it in Hyde Park and on Woodhouse Moor and other places? Yes. Why don't you give us the vote, then, she said with quick emphasis, and the court laughed again. Are you aware of the words your distinguished father spoke on the matter? She continued. I heard the quotation. Do you assent to the proposition he laid down? yes then you cannot condemn our methods any more she said triumphantly that is hardly a matter for my opinion he said suddenly remembering that he must preserve his dignity it is a very interesting question though i need not trouble you further she concluded now mrs pankhurst rose and the witness turned to her quite cheerfully i want to ask mr gladstone she said if he is aware that the consequence of our being ordered to be bound over is that we cannot consent and that we shall go to prison.' "'That is a matter of law, and not for the witness,' interposed the magistrate. "'If that happens to us, if we go to prison, I hope that Mr. Gladstone will see that we go as political offenders,' she said. But again the magistrate intervened. "'Do you think we should be likely to break the law if we had the same means of representation as men?' she then asked and mr gladstone replied with pompous amiability i am sure your motive is excellent but that is a hypothetical question which i cannot answer mrs Pankhurst was irritated i will ask mr gladstone she said whether in his opinion we should be treated as ordinary criminals searched stripped and put into cells as though we were drunkards and pickpockets you must not put that question said the magistrate The case amused him, but he did not like the unpleasant side of it put forward. This concluded the evidence of the cabinet ministers, and as they were about to leave the court, Christabel graciously said, May we tender our warm thanks to these two gentlemen who have done us the favour of coming forward to give evidence. She then called a number of witnesses in support of her contention that the crowd on the night of the 13th was an orderly one, and that no violence was done amongst these were colonel massey formerly of the six dragoon guards lady constance lytton and mr nevinson a well-known leader writer and war correspondent mrs may another witness said that in her opinion the word rush had been used on the famous handbill in a sense similar to that conveyed by the expression a dash to the north pole explaining that though an attempt to reach the north pole is described as a dash it is in reality the slowest possible mode of travel in the same way she imagined that the public had been asked to rush the house of commons into passing a vote for women measure then came miss evelyn sharp well known as a writer of delightful stories for children one of those frail wan-faced little people who whilst looking always as though a puff of strong wind would carry them away yet managed to accomplish such quantities of work as fill the strongest with amaze and at the same time have ever ready a fund of the brightest and cheeriest good-humour now she told in the funniest and most winning way that she had taken the fateful handbill as an invitation to go to the house of commons and if possible not to turn back and how when she had found the police were determined to bar the way up victoria street she had stooped and dodged between them in the middle of a scene which she described as being like a rush at hockey miss f e macaulay an historical student then gave several instances of women having gone to the house of commons for the purpose of presenting petitions in ancient days and said she considered that these suffragettes were only reviving an ancient custom meanwhile the day had passed the case had begun at ten and it was now seven o'clock except for half an hour at lunch time there had been no interval and during all these hours but for an occasional brief five minutes or so when mrs pankhurst or mrs drummond had taken a turn christabel had been constantly examining witnesses remaining always eager alert and full of energy and resource several times she had applied for an adjournment but mr curtis bennett was just as anxious to tire her out and thus finish the trial as she was to prolong it at last at half past seven he asked how many further witnesses she proposed to put into the box she replied about fifty we are sorry to take up the time of the court but we are fighting for our liberty on hearing this mr curtis bennett decided to adjourn the hearing of the case until the following saturday ordering that the defendants should be released on bail as before so christabel had won for the time being whatever the final result might be the defendants had three more days of freedom before them and the case which by the long accounts of it that were appearing in every newspaper was interesting thousands of people in the votes for women movement was to be carried on for another day criminal cases many of them dealing with the foulest and most sordid crimes are allowed to drag on for weeks and even months whilst public time public money and public interest is lavishly expended upon them we felt that we need not scruple then to prolong as far as we possibly could a trial dealing with great political issues moreover our second albert hall meeting had been fixed for october twenty ninth and we hoped that the defendants might be free to speak that night when saturday morning at length came round and the prisoners again took their places in the dock it was at once evident that mr curtis bennett was determined to bring the case to an abrupt conclusion speaking in sharper and harsher tones than any we had heard from him before he announced that he had decided only to hear two or three more witnesses whom the defendants might specially select unless there were others who could give evidence relevant to the case in regard to a set of facts entirely different from any that had been raised as this decision might take the defendants by surprise he would allow an adjournment of half an hour in which they might consider which of their witnesses they would prefer to call requests to state what class of evidence he would consider relevant both from christabel and mrs Pankhurst, the magistrate met with a curt refusal to say anything further and christabel was not informed to overcome his objections as she had been on the previous days indeed we now saw with anxiety that the excitement and extra pressure of work of the last few weeks coupled with the constant heavy routine entailed by her position in the union and the great strain of conducting this case had begun to tell on her and for the first time in her life we began to fear that she might break down but even now she would not abandon the fight to prolong the case it was impossible in half an hour to examine individually the hundreds of persons who had by this time offered to testify as witnesses in order to find out which of them would prove most valuable to our case the only thing to be done was to choose a few almost at random who possessed some special position or influence and whom we also knew personally to be particularly sympathetic and observant when the half-hour had elapsed and the prisoners had again taken their places christabel first called mr james murray the liberal member of parliament for east aberdeenshire who had so kindly come to the rescue when bill had been refused at bow street he stepped into the box a huge figure immaculately dressed and faultlessly groomed and turned his big ruddy good-humoured face towards the three prisoners with a kindly smile when asked by christabel if he were present at the meeting in trafalgar square on sunday october eleventh he replied i was going into the national gallery and saw a collection of well-dressed people in the square i think your mother was speaking but i could not hear anything "'What struck me was that the crowd listening to her "'was composed of exactly the type of people "'who go to church on Sunday in Scotland.' "'Then they must have been very respectable,' said Christabel. "'Did you get a copy of the bill?' "'No.' "'I dare say you saw it in the papers.' "'I saw a statement in the papers.' "'How did you understand the word rush?' "'I did not take the matter seriously at all.' "'Here Mr. Curtis Bennett interrupted curtly.' "'That really is for me, Miss Pankhurst, as I have told you.' "'Did you resolve to accept the invitation?' Christabel asked. "'I could not very well, you see,' said Mr. Murray, smiling broadly, "'because I was inside the Citadel.' "'He has the right of entry,' said Mr. Curtis Bennett with mock solemnity, and for the first time that morning with a twinkle in his eyes. "'Were you near Westminster on the 13th?' was the next question." i was in the house and sitting down to dinner when i got a telegram from your mother sent from the neighborhood of bow street asking me to go across there this cannot be relevant said mr curtis bennett sharply but mr murray merely looked amused and went on in coming here i drove in a hansom up parliament street the whole place was like a besieged city except that we had police officers instead of soldiers a little beyond dover house the crowd was held back by a cordon "'but I had not the slightest difficulty "'in getting through in a hansom. "'Afterwards I returned to the house by the strand "'and the embankment and had very little trouble "'in getting back. "'Was it a disorderly crowd?' "'No, I think you could say an ordinary London crowd.' "'Did you come to the conclusion "'that the persons who had called the meeting "'had done so with a desire to incite the crowd "'to disorder or damage?' "'It was Mrs. Pankhurst who spoke now.' "'No,' answered Mr. Murray.' i thought that if it were for any purpose at all it was to advertise the cause you know something of the women who are conducting this agitation was mrs pankhurst's next question and mr murray said gallantly yes i have the greatest admiration for them for their earnestness of purpose ability and general management of the whole scheme you know they have tried every other political method yes and if they had been men instead of women they would not have been in the dock now judging by the past do you agree with mr lloyd george when he said that if the government would give us what we were asking for this agitation would cease i have no doubt it would i go further than mr lloyd george and i say you are entitled to it said the witness with fervour and then with a genial motion of farewell to the prisoners he withdrew after dr miller maguire the well-known army coach a stout little man with a black moustache and a strong irish brogue and miss agnes murphy an australian a quiet-voiced pale-faced lady had also given evidence mr curtis bennett said that he would hear no more witnesses every attempt to overcome his decision failed and christabel then applied for an adjournment in order that she and her companions might be in a position to do themselves full justice when they addressed the court Every one present anxiously hoped that this request would be granted, for it was evident that the woman who had hitherto conducted the defence so brilliantly was almost worn out. The magistrate, however, was determined to bring the case to an end, and he said, "'You have had a long time to take this matter into consideration. You must either address me now, or not at all.' She protested that the case was being rushed through the court, and at this there was laughter and applause, for every one recognised the play on the word rush but mr curtis bennett said hotly are you going to address me or not with a gesture of protest christabel pankhurst then began to speak in her own defence she held in her hand a sheaf of typewritten notes containing dates and quotations but every word of her brilliant speech was extemporized she spoke quickly and with a passionate emotion which is usually foreign to her when she referred to the nature of the prosecution and to the conduct of the government in having denied the women the trial by jury to which the nature of their alleged defence entitled them, and in having preferred to hustle their case through the police court where the drunkards and pickpockets are tried, it was with a thrill of indignation that spread through the court. End of chapter fifteen, part two.